not just with our singing, but with every area of our lives. And um, God, I do, I do pray, Father, that truly our lives individually and also collectively as a church um, would be like sweet incense unto you. I, I love those lines, Lord, that day and night, night and day, let incense arise, Lord, that all of our life would be worship. I pray, Father, that you tear down the, um, the compartmentalization that's happened in our minds of like giving you maybe these hours that we're here together on Sunday morning or maybe giving you just the time that like when we have our Bibles open or something or we're together in a small group. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to make it our utmost mission to pursue worshiping you continually, nonstop, with the way that we live our lives, with the way that we lay down our lives, with the way that we serve others. It would all be for you, Jesus. You're worthy of every moment, and we want to honor you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Good morning, good to see you guys. God's good, amen? Grab your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 6. <coughs> Just nine verses this morning. Let me read it quickly, and I'll pray again, and we will get into it. Ephesians chapter 6, the first nine verses. I'll talk more about this in a little bit, but we have four specific contexts that Paul is going to give some specific instruction in. They're contexts that touch each one of our lives here this morning. First of all, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Whether he is bondservant or free, masters do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Just pray with me one more time. Father, thanks for today. You ask, Father, that uh, you would open the eyes of our heart to see wonderful things from your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would take the word and apply it to our hearts this morning um, in a way that is most meaningful and most needful right now in this season for each and every person here. Um, thank you for the privilege, again, of being your disciples and being able to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, very, I want to say very practical part of the letter. However, uh, I think I need to correct myself in saying that it's the practical part of the letter. I think I've actually used that language as we've been going through Ephesians where the first three chapters are more theological and the last three are more practical. And that's true in a sense. However, um, the thing I don't like about saying that is that as if theology isn't practical. So the things we talked about in the first three chapters of this letter as we've been walking through it, that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, that God, who, God, though once we were dead, he, he made us alive, that it's by grace that we've been saved, um, that we've been chosen in him, predestined in him, adopted in him, forgiven in him, redeemed in him. Like, nothing could be more practical than those truths, amen? <laughs> like, we need, we need to know that. Um, nothing could be more practical than these theological realities that Christ has uh, obtained for us. Um, and I love talking about that type of stuff, if I can be really honest with you and transparent, is that uh, I've told you several times as we've been going through Ephesians that Ephesians is my favorite book. And as we were kind of like looking at how we were going to kind of structure this and putting together the Bible reading plan last year and stuff, like I was really excited to get to Ephesians. And again, we've just been kind of taking a half chapter um, a week and then talking about it here on Sunday mornings as well. Um, but this was probably the section that I was least excited to preach on, if I can be honest with you. Because, you know, yeah, you know I used to, and to be honest with you, like, I used to just kind of like, man, I, I would like, 
I memorized, you know, a bunch of the first part of Ephesians and, you know, all that stuff about us being seated with Christ and raised up with Christ and these spiritual realities. Then you'd get to this part and you're like, children, obey your parents. Yeah, 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 I know that. Fathers, you know, be nice to your kids, you know, good. Um, bond servants, well, I don't even really know what that means. Employees, employers, I guess, you know, be a good worker, be a good boss. Next. Um, anybody else? Maybe. I, but that's, that's kind of the way I felt. But man, nothing could, be, nothing could be farther from the truth. And I think that there's something actually this morning um, that I know the Lord's been pressing on my heart as I've been working up to this section and then especially as I've been studying this specifically uh, this past week. Is that I want, uh, there's a little bit of a tension that I want to kind of unpack a little bit here this morning. So, and it's a tension that like had a pretty big impact on my life. I hope I can explain it well before we jump in here. Um, is that I, I think that over the last two decades specifically, so from beginning from about 2000 up until now, is there's been a lot of talk in church land um, using this word, and maybe some of you have, have heard it, maybe some of you haven't, but it's just the word missional. Missional. Anybody hear the word missional? It's just the word mission with an A-L tacked at the end, and that, it, I don't know, it sounds cooler, I guess. Just mission is all we're talking about. But there's been a lot of talk in the church about what it means to be missional, missional. And so usually, and it's not a bad thing, okay, but usually what that means is when we say being missional, it, it sometimes carries with it this idea that we've got to do something extremely out of the ordinary, something that is quote-unquote radical, another word that's gotten thrown around a lot. We've got to do something radical for Jesus, right? Which is, again, I'm not, I'm kind of poking the bear here, but I'm also like, I like the bear too. And so um, early on, like, some of you guys know a little bit of our story, but like uh, about 15 years ago, uh, when Hannah and I were 25 and had just had our first kid about a month earlier, we moved up to Canton. We bought kind of a, a, a house in a rougher area of town. In fact, that year, the, the year that we moved up there, there were nine murders right in and around where we lived. Um, Canton that year, for, and I don't know how they do this like per capita because obviously it's a lot smaller, but it was rated more dangerous than New York City and Miami. Um, and we moved up there because we were going to be missional. We were going to the hood, if I can just be honest with the way we, we viewed it. And we were going to reach people for Jesus. And um, our hearts, and our hearts were, were, were good, and I want to be clear, I think that's what God had for us in that, in that season. Um, we learned a lot from it. However, um, and you guys have heard me say this before when I've talked about that part of our lives, is that was pretty much, we lived up there for about four years, and that was four years of a lot of failure, a lot of failure on my behalf. And a lot of that was because I was trying to do things in my own strength for God. And that's just not the way it works. Amen? It's not. But I was being missional, and I really loved Jesus. And so I wanted to go do this. And, and hear me here, okay? Because I, I pray that, like, one of my dreams for us as a church, Lord willing, if the Lord wills, is that we would be able someday to send people and support them 100%, and that we would be able to send them to unreached people groups, that we would be able to send them into the inner city, if that's where they're called, or, or if it's out in the country. We, we don't care. We want to send people out, and I do believe that Jesus gets absolutely everything and that our lives should look different, that we should be living a radical life, that we should be... Um, living missionally, if you want to use that language. But I think the thing that Paul is pressing here in this section of the book is that the only way that our lives are ever going to have any impact, any missional impact, is if we learn to be filled moment by moment with the power of the Spirit in the everyday contexts, the everyday situations that we find ourselves. That's what it means to be missional. 
So coming back to the text again, just to remind us where we're at. What we're in, we're in a, a, a section here where Paul is actually unpacking five specific contexts, but these five specific contexts flow out of one very specific command. And so again, we've talked about this, I talked about this last week as well too, because the context is always important when you're trying to understand the scriptures correctly, but in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, this is the specific command. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And I told you, this is, this is a passive thing, like we can't do it, the Spirit is okay, to us and in us, but we're, and, and it's the idea of that it's continual, that we're continually to be seeking to be filled with the Spirit. But it's nothing that we, we earn or make happen. It's as we learn to yield, to lay aside our will, and to submit to the Spirit. To do. Is, guys, is my mic coming in and out? Okay, I, I did not change batteries this morning. Okay, never mind. Just tell me if it keeps doing it, because I can't always hear. Sorry, that was a little aside. Technical difficulties are always fun. We say that when the devil fell from heaven, he fell into the sound booth. Um, is what, is what happened. It's not their fault. That's, that's where he lives, is in the sound booth, I'm telling you. Um, <coughs> true story. You think I'm kidding. Um, but, uh, uh, but we're to be filled with the Spirit, and now, out of the specific command of being filled with the going to grab this. I can't do this. Um, but here's the deal, is that you, so you've got this one specific command of being filled with the Spirit, and now Paul is unpacking these five specific contexts. We looked at the first one last week, which is husbands and wives, so the context of marriage. And now, so the, the four that he's going to un- unpack this morning are children to parents, parents to children, employees to employers, and I know he uses bond servants here, but I'll, and I'll explain that a little bit as we get into it, and then employers to employees, or as he puts it, masters um, to bond servants. But here's the thing that I want us to get, guys, is that it's incredible that in this high theological letter and all that Paul has talked about and just the richness um, of the truth that's been in here in, these, in the first couple chapters is that he doesn't tell the church in Ephesus, listen, I want all of you to go and move to a third world country. Or I want all of you to now move and go out and to um, go to an unreached people group. What he tells him is, I want you to live spirit-filled lives where you are at. And hear me, 100%, God could call people just like he did Paul and just like he did many others to literally move to the other side of the world. And if that's what the Spirit is leading you to do, then know that as a church, we want to we send you, we want you to go, you need to be obedient to that. But primarily, the way that the mission is going to go forward, the way that the mission is going to go forward is through living a spirit-filled life in the context that he has us, okay? And this is what I want for us as a church. I really want us to understand that, guys, there has to be a, a, a rewiring in our minds about what is holy and what is, is unholy. And I don't mean by good and bad, but I mean like many of us, um, if we grew up in church, we treat this hour or two together on Sunday morning as holy, and then the rest of it, the week, is just, well, it's just the rest of the week. All of life is holy. All of life is for Jesus. All of life, every moment, is to be filled with the Spirit um, and to live a life of worship. And so I just want to unpack these, these contexts this morning. But again, the, the, the emphasis here is that Paul's going to be giving some very specific commands, but I want to be extremely clear. These commands are not difficult. They are impossible. They're not just difficult. They're impossible, which is why we need to be filled with the Spirit. You cannot Obey, obey these commands in a way that honors and glorifies God apart from the Spirit's filling in your life. And the Spirit is always willing, folks. 
He is always willing. He, the Spirit wants to help you worship Jesus. That's why the Spirit is given to us. That's why Jesus said he's not going to leave us as orphans. He's going to send us the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit to be in us. And the Spirit in you wants to exalt Jesus in every single area of your life. There's no area of your life that the Spirit does not want to help you honor and glorify God. Okay? So here's the deal. Um, see, I don't even know what to do with this cord. Okay? I just apologize ahead of time for any weird things I do with this thing. Okay. Children. Children to parents. Verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And then I like what he says. For this is right. This is, this, is just, this is just right. Now, he's going to give more reasons as to why this is right here in a second. He's going to quote some Old Testament scriptures. But, like, first of all, this is right. It's just right for kids to obey their parents. And, man, God has such, such important stuff here for kids. And, again, we're all children in a sense, meaning that we all have parents, okay, no matter how old we are. However, the primary... Um, emphasis that Paul was speaking to here are, are children or students who are still living at home, okay, under the direct authority of, of their parents. They have not yet, uh, you know, left their father and mother and clung to their, their wife or to their husband, um, as we looked at last week that, uh, uh, that God, God has for us. So he says, this is right, meaning this is, this is good, it's fitting. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. That's why he says here, children, obey your parents in the Lord. It's this idea that it's right, it's fitting, it pleases him. And then he's going to quote from the Old Testament here, from one of the Ten Commandments. You can find this in both Exodus chapter 20, also um, Deuteronomy, where Moses is going over the law that they've been given again. And he says here, it's the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Now, there's some question as to what exactly Paul means here when he says first commandment with a promise because it seems like the third commandment also has a promise with it, but some people say that was, it was more of just a statement. But the idea here is that God gives these children a commandment and then he gives it a promise to go along with the commandment. And here's what, here's what the promise is. He says that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, in Exodus chapter 20, it says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Okay, And I think this is, this is interesting because the specific context there was that these children were getting ready to go with their parents into the promised land. So remember the story of redemption, that God saved them from slavery under Pharaoh, saved them out of Egypt, but he saved them out of Egypt in order to bring them into the promised land. And so he's telling these kids, look, it's going to go well with you. You're going to live a long time and be prosperous in the promised land if you honor your father and mother. And the reason I like that imagery and that Paul brings that up here, although he just says into the land, I think he's wanting to, to stir up some of that same uh, imagery. And the, and the idea here is that kids, like, you have so much in front of you. And in the Old Testament, when God brought the Israelites out, and we're going into this promised land. Man, he, he, it was a land flowing with milk and honey. I don't even know what that means for sure. But it sounds good, right? It's flowing with milk and honey. He wanted to bless them. He wanted to establish them. He wanted to use them in that land to honor and glorify his name. But there were going to be battles. There were giants there. There were walled cities that they were going to have to march around, and they were going to, they were going to have to trust him, okay? But there was, so there was blessing, but there was also a battle. And what he says to these kids as they're getting ready to go into the promised land is that, look, if you want to be successful here, you're going to have to learn to honor me and submit to me and do what I want you to do. But the way that you learn to do what I want you to do is by first being obedient in the training ground that I have you in, which is your family, which is your mom and dad. And kids, this is really, this is really, really important, is that all of life, you are going to be under different levels of authority, whether it's, it's bosses or employers or government officials, different things. And again, there's, there's a lot of talk about all that stuff today, and, and it's, more, it's a nuanced conversation. But the point is, is that ultimately you are under the authority of God. And that the Spirit of God, again, the Spirit-filled life, the Spirit, the context of this, that the Spirit filling you, being under His authority and submission, that's where the place of blessing is. 
That's the place where you're going to be happiest, that God is working for your joy, but he's also working for his glory in, in that. But here's the deal. If you don't learn, and kids, I want you to hear this. If you don't learn how to be faithful under the authority of your parents now when you're at home, then God is going to have to teach you later how to be faithful under authority. But he's not going to leave you alone. Okay? Because this is how you walk forward in victory. Just like the Israelites were supposed to in the promised land. And if you read the story of the Israelites when they went out, when they obeyed God, and when they did what he told them to do, even if it didn't make sense, like march around Jericho seven times, and then I just want you to shout and blow your trumpets, and oh, you're like, how, how is this a battle strategy? Strategy. God's like, just do it. And they do it, and what happens? It works. But when they try to do things in their own strength, when they try to do things in their own power, in their own authority, they're defeated. And that's the Christian life. Whether you're young or old, and again, he's going to unpack, unpack some more of this, is that um, when we submit to the Lord's authority, to the Spirit's authority in our life, we walk in victory. It's not easy, but we have joy, and God, and God gets the glory. The other thing, students or kids, children, whatever you want to call yourselves, is that this idea of the promise, the promises here. A couple weeks ago at the men's retreat, we talked specifically about this throughout the book of 2 Peter. Um, primarily, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Just listen carefully to this. It says, His divine power has granted to us things that, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Now listen, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. So he's given us these promises so that through them, through these promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And here's what that means, kids, and this is, goes for all of us. But I think there's a reason why Paul here so specifically ties the commandment with kids to honor their father and mother to the promise that God gives is that he wants you to understand from an early age, from an early age, and man, I wish I would have learned this earlier on, that the way you go forward in the Christian life is, yes, by the power of the Spirit within you, by being filled with him, but the other rail that runs alongside with the power of the Spirit that really moves our lives forward in victory in Christ is the promises of God. The promises are found in this book. And I'm serious, you, you wake up every day, you read it, you look for the promises, and you live, because we're to live by faith every moment of every day. And you live by faith in what? In these promises. And as you continually trust the promises of God, the Spirit takes those promises in our life, and he fills us, and he uses us, and he helps us to walk in victory. Can I just get an amen from any, anybody who's older in the Lord, if you consider yourself older in the Lord, that you wish you would have learned this earlier on? Yeah? To walk in the promises of God. The Spirit and the Word are enough. They're sufficient. And He's called us. He's called us to live lives of worship that honor and glorify Him. And kids, He does have amazing things in store for you. Secondly, the second context are parents to children. Now, He says here in verse 4, fathers, um, I don't think it's a stretch or a twist of the scriptures at all to say here, though, that this is just as applicable to mothers. In the same way, many times in the scriptures, Paul will say, dear brothers, but he's also, you can imply brothers and sisters, and that's not a stretch or twisting the scripture in any way. However, fathers, men, um, husbands, as we looked last week, they are, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the head of household, and so father, uh, I'm sorry, Paul addresses the fathers here in this situation, and it's pretty um, simple instruction, but he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, okay, but, so don't do this, that's the negative, here's the positive, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Very simple instruction. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. This idea of bringing them up, it's literally the idea of nourishing, of caring for them. Okay, discipline has the idea of a consistency with it. 
Um, this is probably, I think, listen, all of us here, again, I, there's no perfect parents, um, especially not here on the stage. But uh, I think, for me, the, the, the discipline part and understanding that this is talking a lot about consistency. This is where I've, I've, I think I fall short a lot of times as a dad. Is that like I have, and this tends to be my whole life and just kind of the way I'm wired too with my personality, but I tend to be really hard and fast. And so I'm a good parent for a little bit, but then I can just kind of take off the brakes and just kind of let it go. But it's this idea of just consistency that I'm a good, that I need to try to be a good dad even when I'm tired, <laughs> even when I don't feel like it, that I need, and, and again, how am I supposed to do this in my own strength? No, by the power of the Spirit by asking the Holy Spirit to help me, by asking the Holy Spirit to give me strength, um, even when I'm tired and even when I'm just, quite honestly, being a little bit lazy as, as a parent. And then he says instruction. And this is, this is very specific, this idea of instruction. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can model instruction, obviously, and we should do that. But it's very specifically tied here to our words and to the way that we, the way that we speak. Okay, And so we're to nourish them, to bring them up, and how are we to do this? With consistent instruction with our words. That is, that, that is, that is building them up. It's an interesting, I, as you put all these words together, I just think it's an, basically what Paul's getting at, if I had to sum it up, is it's an interesting combination of words that basically call us as parents to be both tough and tender. Both tough and tender. It's that idea, you've probably heard this before, that sometimes people speak about being that velvet-covered brick. Okay? That it's, it feels good on the outside, but yet there's, there's a strength there. There's a firmness there. There's a consistency there um, in discipline. One little, I want to give you just one little practical tool here. I don't know who's, Conrad, if you can pull that um, one little graph up on the screen. Uh, this is from a, uh, an organization called Giant Worldwide. They have a lot of practical tools that I like sometimes, and they use this a lot of times more in like a uh, Oh, work setting, talking about workplace culture and stuff. But they call this the support challenge matrix, and I think it's a helpful thing um, to just think about maybe where you fall. I know it helps me in terms of, of, of my parenting. And the, the, the two by two here, the tension, is between uh, support and challenge. Support and challenge. And you need both. And this is in a lot of ways, I think, practically what Paul is, is calling us to here. But if you have, if you have starting the bottom left um, kind of quadrant there, if you have low challenge and low support, there's going to be just a culture um, of abdicating in your home, of the, a culture of apathy, of low expectation. Is that kids need to be challenged, however, they also need to be supported. If you have high support but really low challenge, you're just going to protect your kids, okay? And that's also not going to help them thrive. Now, we want to protect them, of course, but um, we're also called... Uh, to uh, empower them and to help them be all that Christ has called them to be. If you're high on the challenge and low on, on the support, and again, I think for our personalities, many of us are, might, we, we fall into different quadrants here, um, uh, but I know for me and I think a lot of dads, we tend to fall into the dominate quadrant where we're really high on the challenge, but we're low on, we're low on the support. But what um, I think Paul is calling for here is that all of us would be able to create a culture in our home where our kids feel empowered, where they are liberated to be all that God calls them to be. And here's what it requires. High support and high challenge. High support and high challenge. And I just, like, just very quickly, like, just for yourself, okay, we're not going to go around and, you know, say where we're at. But, like, which quadrant do you fall into? Dads, where, dads especially, where do, you, where do you fall? Do you fall into the dominating quadrant? Do you ask a lot of your kids and require a lot of them, which is not all a bad thing, but do you also give the support to help them, to help them thrive and to help them and to help them overcome? This is what I think Paul is calling for here. Just a couple of real quick things as well for both parents, but especially dads. Number one, dads especially. Be keenly aware of the power of your words. Amen? Be keenly aware of the power of your words, both good and bad. Your words have power, especially in the lives of your kids, and you do not get to choose whether or not those words impact them. Okay? 
It's just a matter of how they're going to impact them. And whether you're going to liberate them with both challenge, it's not bad to challenge your kids at all, but also with encouragement. Along with that, number two, parents, make it your aim to be, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the most encouraging person in your child's life. Do you think that's true of you? Like, you want your kids to get encouragement from a lot of places. You want their teachers to be encouraging. You want their coaches to be encouraging in sports. But no one should be more encouraging than you, right? And you think about it, who's the most encouraging person in your life? I would argue that for all of us, it's our Heavenly Father. That yes, He will discipline those that He loves, and yes, um, He'll challenge us. And he'll allow us to go through trials. And nothing difficult can get to our life without first going through him. And he allows these things for our good. But no one is more faithful than God. No one is more encouraging in all the promises that he's given. And then lastly, parents, um, notice here that he says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Of the Lord. The third thing is just remember that ultimately you're not instructing them for your plans or your desires, but you're instructing and encouraging and hopefully challenging and supporting and ultimately liberating for the Lord. They belong to him. We get the privilege of being able to steward their lives in our home for a little while. That's it. But they ultimately, like everything else, they ultimately belong to him. Third context. This one, uh, I'll, I'll need to explain a little bit here, but he says bond servants to masters. Okay, so obviously the word bond servants, and I'm not, you know, the English translates it bond servants, and, and obviously that's, um, that's accurate, and it's probably pretty helpful. It is literally, in the Greek, it's doulos, it's slave. Okay, it's literally slave. There is, a, <coughs> um, uh, there's nothing in our American culture context that really is apples to apples, to what the to the historical cultural context of what Paul is speaking into um, here, just very quickly, if you even just think in the Bible, um, Daniel, he rose to third in power in all the kingdom. Daniel was a slave. Joseph, second in command in all of Egypt. Joseph was a, was a slave. Okay, this idea of um, I'm telling you, he's the devil's running around back there, um, but. This idea of, uh, um, of bond servants and masters, this was a, this was a um, cultural thing that there was definitely uh, some of the things we think about when we think about um, slavery today, meaning the transatlantic slave trade, which was obviously wicked. I do want to be clear, just I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but just so we have some ideas to what Paul's speaking to here. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, he says, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless, for the disobedient, for the ungodly, and for sinners, for the unholy and the profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, and for slave traders. And for slave traders. And so I just want to be clear that like the transatlantic slave trade, that type of slavery, even um, human slavery where it exists today, human trafficking, the Bible 100% condemns it from beginning to end. What Paul has in mind here is, is more something that we don't have um, exactly anything to compare it to, but it was part of society. There's also, like in uh, the book of Leviticus, it actually talks about ways that people would want to be bond servants, and you could go and hire yourself out for a lifetime. Uh, to a good master if you wanted to do that. And so again, something that's a little bit different. And, but anyway, while no Western context is perfectly comparable, the general principles here are very much, are very much comparable and almost perfectly comparable um, between an employee and an employer, okay? And so he says, bond servants or employees, obey your masters or your bosses. And here's how you do it. With fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man. Okay, so here, here's the big idea of how Christian, guys, here's, there's three parts to Christian obedience, okay, and we really need to get this, is that we need to do the right thing, the right way, and for the right reason. The right thing, the right way, and for the right 
reason. So if you're asked to do something at work or, or in any context, we need to do the right thing, but then we need to do it the right way. We need to do it with a good attitude, but not just outwardly, not just smiling when your boss is watching. That would be doing it by way of eye service or as a people pleaser. But we are to do it not only the right thing the right way, but for the right reason, from the heart. And many times I think we give ourselves a pass because we don't view all of life as worship and all of life as disciples of Jesus Christ. We are disciples. We are followers. It's part of our identity. We don't just follow him on Sunday mornings or when we're out on the mission field sharing the gospel or doing evangelism. Every moment of our life is to be under the lordship of Christ. And that means that every single moment of our day, even at our jobs, which is where the, most of us spend the majority of our time, we're to be doing the right thing the right way and for the right reason. And what's the right reason? We are doing it as unto Christ. He says, verse 5, as you would unto Christ. Verse 6, we are bondservants of Christ. That Paul wants us to take this on this, this, this identity even. And again, it's the word for slave. That we are slaves of Christ. Okay, There is more freedom in being a slave of Christ. That's where true freedom is found than just simply being free in the way the world thinks of it. Verse 7, we do it as unto the Lord. Okay, So here's the idea. I want you just to imagine that you are literally in, in Christ's very presence, in his kingly courts. You're a servant in his house, in his, in his castle, whatever. You're serving in his presence. You have the privilege of serving him right before his very eyes, in his very throne room. Whatever he would command you would seem to be a delight, would it not? Because of the overwhelming privilege of being surrounded by his very presence and by his glory, right? Listen, now stop imagining that is the reality. That's the reality. We don't see it. We walk by faith now and not by sight. But every moment of your life, this upcoming week, at your job, you are serving in the king's very presence. You may not see him with your physical eyes. You're just seeing with the eyes of your heart by faith. But he sees you. And he not only sees what you're doing, he sees if you're doing it the right way, and he sees if you're doing it for the right reason. And again, the right reason here isn't that well, your boss is just such an awesome person and I just love my boss so much that I hope that's the case. It may not be the case. But your boss's authority falls under Christ's authority. And again, there's like I, I don't know what, what Paul is calling for here, this type of sincerity that he's calling for. Um, I don't think you can have this unless you have a very high view of the sovereignty of God and of God's providence, okay? Um, you have to understand that every detail of your life is under the sovereign, providential hand of God and that he loves you. And I know we would like check that box doctrinally, like if I have that statement, like, do you agree? Yes, I agree with that, Ch check. But do you, do you truly believe it? Or do you live most of your life during the week in unbelief, thinking that he doesn't see, thinking that he doesn't care, thinking that your motive doesn't really matter? you do, it's, there's unbelief that exists in your heart because he does see it. Just, just very quickly, I just want to share some verses, because this is all throughout the Bible, that God is, his sovereign providential hand is over every detail of our lives. Proverbs 16.9 says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We all have plans in our heart, and I'm going to go this way, but ultimately the Lord is the one that establishes our steps. He's going to take us where he wants to take us. Proverbs 16.1, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. What does that mean? It means he knows your thoughts before you think them. He knows the words before you speak them. He knows what you're going to do before you do it. It is not hard for him to lead us and guide us where he wants us. And you have to trust 
that he has you where he has you in this season until he releases you and allows you to do something else. James 4, 13 and 17, this is more speaking to the next context that's coming up here, but in regards to um, employers or bosses, but listen to James chapter 4, he says, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. We are to acknowledge the providential sovereign hand of God in every single area of our lives. Um, the motivation that he gives here, quickly, verse 8. He says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Paul wants us to understand here that the Lord is a rewarder. It's interesting, in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, we skip over this a lot of times, but he talks about how um, who, that we must, without faith it's impossible to please him because whoever comes to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Two things here, an exhortation and a caution in regards to this. Number one, the exhortation would be, like, let this motivate you. The Lord sees your service. He sees your day in and day out work. And again, whether maybe, maybe, maybe you don't um, have a, a job that you get paid for, but maybe you're an at-home mom, which that's a job, amen? Um, but whatever it is, whatever the Lord has set before you to do in this season, he wants you to know that he's going to reward you. It says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he, he will receive back from who? From the employer? No, from the Lord. From the Lord. That's the exhortation. The caution is that just be careful in thinking that you know what the reward will be or what the reward should be. The Lord knows how to give you just what you need in every season um, for your good, for your joy, and also for his glory. But we can know that we'll be rewarded for faithful service in the Father's house. And that's not a bad thing because we also need to remember that the only reason we're in the Father's house is because of grace. That's it. We've been called into his service by grace. Promotion and provision uh, are not ultimately from our boss or from you. They're ultimately from the Lord. Last context, employers and employees. Okay, He says, masters, do the same. What does he mean by do the same? The same, the primary command there was that they would do what they do with sincerity. Okay, With sincerity of heart. He says, masters, do the same. I think he's talking about being sincere in the way that you treat uh, those under you. And stop your threatening. Stop your threatening. Um, the Christian workplace should, the Christian workplace culture should be marked by grace and not by fear. Amen? Should be marked by grace and not by fear. If you are here and you're a business owner or you're um, a boss who has uh, workers underneath you, it is your job to work for their good, to liberate them, to both support and challenge them, as we talked about with, with parents with, with children. But it is your job to create a culture of grace. And the primary way this is going to happen is by you being the leader that God has called you to be to impart grace with your words, as we looked at back in chapter 4, verse 28 and 29, right? That letting no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building others up, that it may impart grace to those that hear. We're to be imparting that every moment of every day. Um, the primary difference here between employees and employers, the only difference really is, and what Paul is calling for, is that employees are, it's more of a reactive service, so we're, we're told what to do and we carry that out. We're employers, there's even, there's actually a lot more responsibility with it, is that you need to be proactive in thinking of the way that you're going to serve those that God has placed in your care. Stop your threatening. <laughs> Extremely practical. Again, the power of your words. Um, <clears throat> how do you serve those that you have authority over? Do you view your job as worship? Jesus said, the greatest among you must be the servant of all. 
I want to read this very quickly. John chapter 13. Jesus had authority. He had all authority. And here's how he used it. I just want to read this, okay? John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. A few verses later, down in verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place at the table and he said to them, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Not think about them, not talk about them, not put them on a value statement on your wall somewhere, but if you do them. And if I can say just one more practical thing in regards to this specific context and the spirit-filled life that Paul is looking for here. We, um, <coughs> we live in a time, but also in a place specifically around here. It's all over, but specifically around here. It's become very big, uh, it's become very big business in the last several decades um, of taking Christian principles that are good principles and imparting them into the workplace. And listen, I'm going to be really clear. I'm 100% for it. Like that's great. Better to use biblical Christian principles in the workplace than non-biblical Christian principles. Amen? However, I do just want to say that the Christian workplace should be marked by more than just an acknowledgement and a propagation of moralistic teaching and principles. A Christian workplace should be marked by a culture of love and of true grace. And the reason I say that is, is I bet that many of us in the places we work around here, we're, whether we're bosses or employees or whatever, like we're inundated with these different things, character traits, leadership principles. And hear me, I'm not against any of it. But there's a way to just mentally assent to those things and just acknowledge them and be able to quote all of them and know the company's mission statement and value statement and all that stuff. But you're not actually serving those around you from the heart. It's very possible. Don't let that happen. Christ gave us an example of unbelievable humility, shocking humility. And that humility should mark each one of our lives. Worship team, you can come up. We'll begin to close. Here's what I want to say, okay, as we close. Again, I know just a lot of practical, um, practical things here today, specific contexts, situations. But I just want you, just for a second, just to think about your life. Are you just a Sunday morning Christian? I'm not making that accusation. I'm asking. I'm just asking. Are you seeking to worship the Lord with the same zeal, passion, and in the power of the Spirit in the same way you are as, we're gonna st as when we stand and sing here in just a minute? Or as when we st stood and sang a little while ago? Every moment of our lives is to be, is to be worship, folks. God wants us for us. And again, if, if you haven't been, 
I'm not just saying, well, do better, try harder. What I'm saying is, let the Spirit fill you. Look to Him. Look away from yourself and look to Him. Father, I pray that as we do stand and sing here in just a second, that your Holy Spirit would press in each one of our hearts and lives the places throughout our week where we consistently don't worship you. And Father, if there's any compartment of our lives that we're consistently not worshiping you, it's because we're consistently not filled with your Spirit in those moments or in that context or in that situation. Or when a parent says something mean or when a kid doesn't obey or when a boss says something mean or when a coworker says something that's hurtful. And Father, we're asking that you would help us to honor, to glorify you, to just simply worship you first and foremost every moment of every day through the power of your Spirit. So I pray that even again as we sing, that you would come in power, that you would strengthen our hearts, that you would wash away the, the, the dirt and the muck and mire of unforgiveness, of bitterness. I pray that you'd help us to repent if we think that you don't see us. Lord, for those that are here and feel like they've been laboring away, like they've been faithful, but they think that you've completely forgotten about them. I pray you'd help them to turn from that this morning and to just, by faith, again, just trust you, knowing that you see them every moment of their lives. You are the one that's ordering their steps. And Father, I do pray that you'd move us, God. If there's anyone here and you are calling them to go to the other side of the world, God, we, we say yes and amen. In the power of the Spirit, we want to send them. We want to see them go. We pray that you'd open doors. But Father, I pray you'd help each one of us here to be faithful in this upcoming week for our joy and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.